Hello from Maki Anastasiu. Welcome to What's Next. We are talking to Pakamo Tech on What's Next this week. And it's a great pleasure to welcome two of the leadership uh, from the organization who are going to be joining us. First up, it's uh, Lucas Ledwaba, who is the CEO of Pakamo Holdings. Uh, also joining us is Cabello Sekele, who is the Director for Strategic New Business Development and Partnerships at uh, Pakamo Holdings. So warm welcome to both of you. Thank you for joining me on What's Next. I mean, you've recently won a very prestigious award from Microsoft, uh, their top emerging partner for 2020. I mean, that's phenomenal when you look at 2020. And I don't have to remind you what a year it's been for most businesses. That's a phenomenal achievement. And a big congratulations to your teams, gents. Um, let me start off with you, Lucas. Uh, Pakamo Tech, tell us about Pakamo Tech and, uh, and Pakamo Holdings, the, the holding company. Tell us a bit about yourselves. Thanks. Um, it's a pleasure to be engaging with you. Um, really, from, from our side, we are a 10-year-old cybersecurity and risk company. And um, what we really push about, it's said by our tagline, we enable and secure Africa's digital transformation. Simple objective. Uh, we just make sure that organizations build their confidence when it comes to technology adoption, um, securing that landscape and making sure that they can sleep while the technology and the business do what it has to. Okay, well, that's brilliant. And I mean, I mean, certainly this year is going to be one of those years that I'm sure you both are going to remember from these kind of security things. Uh, so let me start off with you, Cabello. I mean, what are your thoughts on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the fourth industrial revolution that we talk about? And, you know, quite broadly, but in particular, the expansion of cybersecurity threats. It must have been a big issue for you this year. Absolutely. Uh, and thanks again, Aki, for providing us the platform to have this discussion with you. So, yes, so I think what the pandemic has done is that it's obviously accelerated um, the adoption of fourth industrial revolution oriented technologies and solutions for a lot of companies and governments. So, as you would imagine, you know, effectively what the pandemic has subsequently also done is that it's now forced entities that otherwise would have taken two to three years to kind of walk through their digital transformation journey to kind of squeeze that into three to four months. Um, and as you can imagine, kind of squeezing that type of amount of work into such a short period of time does leave gaps for uh, for, uh, for certain things to be overlooked, governance risk, um, kind of all these other elements that otherwise would be taken into account if the runway was a bit longer, but the pandemic has certainly shortened that. What we've seen from a cybersecurity standpoint is that, you know, precisely because of that reason, a lot of companies were really rushed to obviously enable um, their workforce to be able to work remotely from home. Um, and what that subsequently does is that it expands the threat surface area um, in relation for opportunities for cybersecurity um, uh, threats to really come in there. And as you would know, you know, there's been a massive 10, 15 fold um, activity around phishing emails uh, associated with COVID. So a lot of people have become susceptible to some of those um, techniques used by cyber threat actors um, who have used this opportunity really with everybody working from home outside of the corporate environment. And now we're working on, you know, um, perimeters that are not secure, working from home, unmanaged Wi-Fi, et cetera. So it really has expanded the, the threat surface area. Oh, that is fascinating. And I'm sure... Um, I mean, it's the big focus for most organizations. You know, you talk about the Achilles heel during the lockdown and remote working. I think this is one of them. Lucas, I mean, when you look at the the landscape as it is and the companies that have had to rapidly adapt, 
What are those critical considerations that companies must take as a response to mitigating these cyber risks that uh, Cabela was talking about? You know, the funny thing is that uh, we, we're talking about technology and we tend to forget that uh, there's people that really leverage that technology, that use the technology. And one of the key considerations to touch on is the people aspect. How do you get your employees to appreciate the threat that uh, is associated with them utilizing these specific technologies, working from home, sharing passwords, you know, making sure our systems get scanned. I mean, um, from our side, uh, working with Microsoft, we've been able to numerous customers, uh, both big and small, um, with technologies that would then not only address the people side of things, but uh, strengthen the processes, how business ensure that when you put in a security control, it doesn't impede productivity. Um, so for example, you, Aki, when you're working from home, um, we need to ensure that your machine is always secure. Um, we need to make sure when you get an email, that email has gone through the right controls to sift through any threats and not expose you. If you are exposed, you must then get a notification that becomes an awareness exercise. Um, things such as multi-factor authentication. Most of us, you know, we've gone in those days, we just use a single password. Now we get OTPs. How do we then yes. embed these yes. OTPs within um, our working environment? As I log into my emails, can I put an OTP to secure that? So the people, the processes, and when you take technology, it must marry nicely to then just bring that confidence across the landscape because with this whole COVID thing, as Gabriel did indicate, um, you have a three-year plan squeezed into three months, at times two months, um, and that at the same time, the risk increments. And uh, without business having visibility around how to manage that, um, and the users knowing how to then really operate because it's a new world, um, introducing these capabilities would then ensure that they remain um, informed, engaged, whilst the processes get automated, there's visibility, and business can really continue without impeding productivity. But, uh, I mean, do organizations have the necessary information, visibility, I mean, capacity and capability to oversee cyber risks, Lucas? The answer would be a no. Um, and reason being is that, as I started with the people, process and technology, business tend to focus on investing purely on technology um, without the ability to then specify what is their risk posture um, in terms of the business. As I adopt technology, what does this technology mean to my business? And then how do I expose my users from that perspective? So just because I've placed a firewall in the environment doesn't necessarily bring me visibility. Therefore, you need to have a simplified manner where you marry machine learning, artificial intelligence with your own internal expertise to then provide the necessary information that then drive business. I mean, from a Pagamo perspective, what we have done in recent time is that we have enabled our own security operations center, um, which allows us, we call it a fourth generation um, security center, which allows us to monitor clients' environments wherever they are. And instead of talking about a, a hack in the context of hacking of a server, we're talking about a hack in the context of a risk posture of the business. Is it just about the money that you pay or is it about protecting the information that matters or the process that matters in generating value for business so that when you now look at investments, 
it's investments that bring values, not an expenditure responding to just a threat, but an, expendi uh, an expenditure towards investing in uh, securing your business. And we said we enable and secure digital transformation. It's fascinating listening to you because these are the challenges that most organizations face. So what do organizations do uh, what do they need to do in responding to this lack of uh, cybersecurity and risk, gov uh, risk governance, for example, Lucas? That's where, you know, strategic partnerships comes into play. Um, your customers need to understand that a security service provider should be one that understands and appreciates your business. Firstly, because out of that, you get then to have a partner that will then help you translate this uh, new world called digitization in terms of how you process, how do you adopt technology to then understand that if I'm going to introduce an automated means of operations, right? How do I secure it? And if I were to be exposed, how do I then drive it? So from a Paramo perspective, what we then do is that we go through understanding not just your IT strategy, but your business strategy, your business processes, and then when we embed security, it's security that really now supports what you want to achieve. And that's why we push in the statement of, you know, it's really about a zero trust architecture. When you come in, as I log in, multi-factors we touched earlier on, I must be identifiable. I must be qualified to access information, thereby um, I know what is it that I need to access. So it's basically having the right access at the right time for the right purpose. Um, and those are normally done by having a relationship or a partnership that is focused around value. Yeah, so when you look at um, the partnership itself, right, the partnership is one that would drive value because the partner understands your business. So security now becomes a key business enabler rather than a technical conversation. Okay, no, that's interesting. But I mean, uh, Cabello, you're listening there and I see you've been nodding as well, but when you look at cybersecurity and the scale of cybersecurity and you look at some of the breaches that have happened and you look at some of the you know some of the 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 the, the dangerous things that we've seen and uh, not forgetting that we've got Papia just around the corner when you talk about compliance um, is cybersecurity and compliance just for large corporates so okay no absolutely not um, and I think you've obviously mentioned some of the larger breaches that have taken place in the last four, six, ten months. Um, and if we look at, if we reflect on one such breach, you know, uh, if you look at what happened to one of the large banks, one of the vulnerabilities was a third party vendor that was a very small business that actually hadn't taken the necessary steps to put in the requisite security controls uh, to be able to safeguard that particular interaction with the large bank. And that's how a hacker then used that particular vulnerability based in a small business to be able to access a larger a larger target if i can put it that way and yeah. use the vulnerabilities that were in that small business uh, to be able to impact a larger business so that obviously demonstrated the necessity for both small and large businesses to take into consideration that cybersecurity is pertinent to all levels of business uh, that's because you know in an interconnected world in a global village small businesses interact with large businesses every single day uh, and the reality is that everybody needs to take the requisite steps to make sure that the efficient governance, risk, and compliance elements associated with cybersecurity are built into a lot of these interactions. Now, what can be stated is that you know it might be a bit more challenging for large, I mean, for smaller oriented businesses, given you know budget constraints, 
uh, resource, human capital constraints, etc. But again, that kind of goes back to the partnership story around, you know, having partners that understand you as a business, you know, if you are an SMME, understanding the budgetary constraints, and then putting forward solutions that are applicable to the size, nature, uh, and budget that's associated with the business. So I think partnerships become central in terms of building out cybersecurity capabilities and resiliency for both large and small organizations. All right. Well, I mean, Cabello, you make perfect sense there. But how costly is cybersecurity and compliance to companies of all sizes? I mean, can the small guys afford it? And you say you can tailor make it, but how much does does it cost to get to that point? Cost is relative. So I guess, I mean, if you look at what it means to be exposed and breached as a business from a reputational standpoint, and you kind of quantify that, it really is never really equivalent to the amount of investment you would need to make in order to prevent that outcome. So from a cost perspective, there are different solutions. And again, um, all businesses are not all the same, uh, all require different interventions, different solutioning, um, and at different price points. Now, what becomes very important, I think Lucas had mentioned it earlier in our conversation, is really to understand what the business and corporate strategy looks like and how that lines in with the IT overall strategy, because those two elements will help determine the nature, velocity and scale of investment required from a cybersecurity perspective. So do you need to protect everything? No. Do you need to protect the crown jewels? Absolutely, yes. Now, those crown jewels are different for different entities. So I think that's where strategy really plays a big part. So I've... I do know that we have a lot of customers that say, geez, you know, compliance is so costly, so is cybersecurity. Not everything is required to be protected at the same level, right, given the different risk parameters. So that's how you then really start to manage how you invest in cybersecurity for it to be a bit more concise uh, and direct in relation to what the actual overall corporate strategy requires. And I guess as well, I mean, you, you, you touched on reputational damage. And that uh, you know, if you if you if you if you go into those kind of numbers, you might actually lose your business because of Correct. a breach if you don't do things properly. So I think it's important to raise that reputational damage. Lucas, how can companies affect a business enabling cybersecurity, for example? And you know, when you talk about um, you know when you talk about uh, the strategy and addressing these kind of risks, Lucas. So I'll just actually feed from what uh, Gabriela just shared just now um, regarding, you know, understanding the business. Um, so the cyber strategy really from a, from a business perspective differs um, mainly purely because each organization has uh, different objectives. Now, from our side, what we then drive is um, collaborate with the business itself, with the customer themselves to then identify the, the critical crown jewels, so to say, and understanding the critical personnel that would then participate in the delivery of that strategy. So most organizations tend to look at corporate strategy or IT strategy or what is now being called digital transformations, right? Um, and then out of that, they would consider cybersecurity at the tail end. It's like um, what we do with our cars, right? We would buy cars and then think of uh, our trackers a little bit later. But if you look at the new innovations is that trackers are now embedded within cars because of the technology. Now, what we say is that within the business strategy, those risks must be understood because when you go as a corporate and then or as any form of business, you say you're going to leverage technology to then drive your objectives 
you're really saying that you're also opening yourself to this large threat landscape. And without incorporating or considering cybersecurity, you are then saying, I'm going to come in, build this house, leave the windows open, um, leave the doors open, and then um, feel safe. And the reality mm -hmm. is that when you come back, um, it will be nice and clean, and uh, the couch that you like to rest on won't be there. Um, and this is what we try and drive with customers that from a simplistic understanding is that the cyber security strategy should be embedded within the business strategy because now immediately you adopt technology, you are changing how you're doing things. The by the investments as well can be secondary as to be understood in the same way you would invest in a machinery, for example. It's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. You often hear that. Uh, Cabello, in recent weeks, I mean, we've seen some major organizations experiencing breaches, for example. Do you think companies uh, have the right data governance strategy and policies and controls in place to minimize these kind of risks? So, 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 like it actually varies, Aki. So, you know, uh, again, you know, so not all businesses are the same, and the level of maturity in relation to, you know, governance, risk, and compliance and cybersecurity differ, right? So, and that's yes. usually commensurate with the nature of investment that is made and how central it is. So, certain industries, like for instance, those in the financial services space, have no choice but to ensure that the most appropriate level of investment is made in ensuring compliance and cybersecurity is at the center of what they do. Uh, not all industries are required to do that, purely because from a regulatory perspective, that's not necessarily a prerequisite. But to answer your question more definitively, no. So, uh, and I say no because firstly, it is not a, it is not a, it's not a snapshot, it's a marathon, right? So the idea is it never ends, right? Your state of compliance, um, your security posture is ever changing, ever evolving. Things like the pandemic tend to change that. Um, yeah. Things like new introduction of new technology into the environment tend to change that. So it's an ever moving picture. It's not a static picture. But in relation to the investment and whether or not the state of preparedness, at least in South Africa, and I can guess I can also speak globally, it's not really there. And it's not there really primarily because of awareness. I don't think it's the shortage of technology or features or capabilities. It's really around awareness and training and human capital development, right? Because at the end of the day, technology is only as powerful in the hands in which somebody knows how to affect that technology or apply it or execute on it. So for us, we found that a large portion of the shortcomings really comes around just the general state of awareness. Um, and I think also the general state of awareness at leadership levels in a lot of organizations. So mm -hmm. IT teams have full understanding about, you know, the, the threats, the dangers of cybersecurity. But the relation is, you know, for cybersecurity and governance and risk to be really impactful, it really needs to be driven from leadership in an organization because that then permeates down to the rest of the organization setting a culture. So it's more around setting a security, zero trust aware culture in an organization and then have processes and technologies that then subsequently enable that or drive that. Um, so it's really around, really more than anything else, around awareness building, training, building that capability with and especially with Papia just around the corner, uh, you know, we all have to change. It's a complete mindset of thinking of how we handle data. So, Lucas, I mean, with all that has been shared, uh, I mean, what kind of tools, for example, are available um, when, you know, when you, when you want to enable these companies of all sizes? What kind of tools are we looking at here? Yeah, 
going to be a little bit biased from where we stand um, purely because of our expertise and uh, you know just mainly experience that we've seen in enabling different size of companies um, so for example leveraging microsoft ex extensively um, it's actually our strategic partner so if you look at what you can invest you are a one-man legal show right um, fact of the matter is that you have very sensitive ip um, you need to secure it. You need to make sure that no one can infiltrate your emails. So things such as Office 365, they come with security embedded in them. They start to empower you. You might not necessarily be a techno fundi, but by mere virtue of utilizing such platforms, you get some form of security in that regard. When you go to enterprise levels, I mean, you have uh, capabilities such as Microsoft Azure Information Protection, that helps you get ready. It sets the baseline for your popular conversation because you then have visibility around the type of data that transacts in your environment. So here, you know, people might think that we are talking thousands, millions and millions and millions for a one-man show. It, you, know, you find that it's a mere 200 to couple of hundred bucks that enables you. And as KB Governor did indicate earlier on to say, it's also the question from a business perspective side to say, when you sit as a business owner, what really matters? Is it the end results where after a breach, you have to deal with legal, um, reputational, you know, and financial risk that you have to address? Or is it better to start and then apply your business from, on, from the onset? I mean, we've engaged multiple customers, big and small. Initially, the small ones would become a little bit of a challenge and quite reluctant to really invest purely because you know the clarity around the key importance of our business is not known and the respect of it so the tools are there that empower customers um, that are really affordable from the likes of microsoft and um, it's always a pleasure from our side to make sure that we share that information and the platform that you've provided we're hoping that uh, will enable and provide visibility or insight is to say how can any company really respond to such? Okay, and and how how would a company then stay current on its uh, on its uh, cyber threat landscape, Lucas? Uh, is is that a challenge for most companies? Um, where our biggest challenge was, uh, you find organizations investing in technology. Um, they leave it there. They expect technology to respond and make things happen. It's like a magic wand, whereas the reality is that it needs to be embedded within the business itself. Because, um, for example, on our side with our security operations center, on a daily basis, guys are engaging with the likes of um, the Microsoft Intelligence Security Association to get the latest information um, with other vendors across the world and embed that information within the platform and then feedback to the business itself from the IT or the security engineer to the CIO, to the CISO, who then take it to the board through audit committees and other participating committees. So the only way organizations can really play part in terms of improving their security posture, adopting an intelligent platform is to understand that it needs to be embedded within processes but uh, here's the thing, Nike. The reality is that in cybersecurity, there's a major, major skills shortage across the world. So it yes, just becomes yes. critical to then find partners that would then enable you. And it's a, spe a specialty-based um, domain here 
that requires people who know their stuff. We've seen a lot where, because I can come in, install an antivirus for you, uh, and then can raise my hand and say, I'm a server security engineer. We can't take that risk because your business can be basically insured by Lucas at uh, a corner of his house. It has to be insured by capable organizations that would empower you. So that is really how we then drive that intelligence to customers. In, in case of a breach, and how, how would an organization respond? How should an organization respond? And, and when and, and how does law enforcement come to play? Because it's happening every single day. We're seeing it around us. How do you react? What are you supposed to do? That's a great that's a great question right there. Um, we've experienced that in a couple of I, I'd say the couple of eighteen months in the country, uh, both in the private and the public sector, where the basic responses have been just unplug, just reset, you know, start from scratch. Re reboot. My favorite reboot. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the reality is that after you reboot, what happens to that five-year-old critical data that you've worked on, that five-year-old IP that defines your business? So the biggest challenge has been organizations unprepared. The maturity around incident response really lag. And incident response, you know, the same way we adopt business continuity, where we say if the building burns, we can move somewhere else. There's insurance that we can leverage. We do not consider within the sphere of cybersecurity. And this is where we come into play to say, let us help you architect a custom-made cyber incident response plan that would then involve your our local enforcement. And again, um, fact of the matter is that even our local enforcement aren't really equipped. And this is where with uh, organizations such as ours, we need to then start creating those collaborative engagements where we can share intelligence, where we can share knowledge so that, you know, from an economic perspective, we provide that confidence that then ensures that we can leverage the digital transformation to even grow our country, not just businesses. Um, and we take it one step at a time by understanding your business. Once we understand the business and we have the confidence with you, we then architect that incident response that then benefits your line of business. It's not a template from um, a site from somewhere. It's actually a custom-based, your business-informed plan that gets architected. Cabello, uh, when you look at what we've been talking about, are, are there quick wins? I mean, uh, is that possible? Is there is there such a thing that one can say that there are some quick wins for companies that they can take to ensure that they've got the right compliance, the right resiliency of their businesses? Are there quick wins? Yes, Aki, um, they are. And I think for me, I'm a real advocate for, you know, you know, kind of empowering your people because people drive businesses. Technology enables businesses, but people really drive businesses. So one of the quick wins, and maybe I can mention three. So the first would be ready to look at getting a, a cybersecurity awareness program in place uh, that really you know, serves to kind of educate your personnel to know what type of threats to look for when they do occur. So, for instance, phishing is obviously a massive one. So yeah. the bulk of breaches across the world, um, about 85% of them have been as a result of a phishing attack, which obviously comes in the form of social engineering, an email comes into your mailbox, uh, has certain attributes that are not necessarily 
clear to somebody who's not really paying attention um, and you click a link and then compromise the entire network that's really just an awareness thing right so when you get an email what do you look for what should you look for what artifacts or elements in the email are a bit suspicious how do you then subsequently report that particular suspicious activity in your organization there must be an individual internally that's an internal champion for the business from a cybersecurity perspective, it doesn't have to be a technically oriented individual. It could just be somebody who's an advocate uh, internally in the business. So somebody can have some way where they can share this information. So that'll be the first, right? So awareness, building kind of training awareness uh, um, really around your people, right? Because the world now is all about the human hack, right? So hackers are really looking at the weakest vulnerability points in organizations. And in the main, it is Cindy, who's the admin clerk, uh, who works at the basement of the operation that is being targeted, correct? It's not the firewall, it's not the perimeter mm. security. All of those hackers know that tons of money is being spent on, on those particular solutions and technologies, but not much is being done to ensure that Cindy, the admin clerk, is sufficiently geared to deal with type of suspicious phishing social engineering. So that'll be the one. The second would certainly be you know, kind of having a look at your environment. So there's a set of things that you can do. So you can run a vulnerability assessment of your environment where you can get a partner similar to ourselves that gives you a third party objective view in understanding where the holes and gaps are in your present uh, environment and what type of steps you can take in order to remedy those, right? So you can get a, a once-off assessment. It is suggested that you do a vulnerability assessment almost quarterly. Uh, but obviously from a cost and budgetary perspective that does become a challenge but you certainly need to certainly have one at least once a year um, or at least twice a year maybe at the beginning of the year to understand to get a baseline and then certainly at the end of the year to understand how you've measured up against that baseline what gaps have you kind of plugged which ones have expanded in nature uh, which others have uh, contracted in nature so a vulnerability assessment might be a good exercise and then the third would obviously be a penetration test. So a penetration test is all about you putting up your organization to hackers, right? So we have, for instance, in our organization, certified ethical hackers, right? So certified ethical hackers are hackers that uh, have um, tool sets uh, to penetrate organizations, but they do so on an ethical basis. So the idea is not to cause damage, but rather to stress test um, the posture, cybersecurity posture of your business. That is really important because what that helps you do is to set a baseline. A lot of entities' biggest challenge is they don't know where they stack up in relation to where their current posture and capability is from a cybersecurity perspective. Everybody, mm -hmm. like Lucas said, I've bought a firewall, I've bought a intrusion protection solution, I've bought an intrusion detection solution, um, and therefore I should be relatively okay. Uh, and the reality is no, because there's a whole lot more that needs to go around that people process and then technology really then enables all of those other pieces. So I think those are kind of the three that I would say, if you could get on the line. Um, there are some entities that are really doing awesome work around cyber awareness uh, training. Um, obviously, there are a lot of entities that do vulnerability and lifecycle management kind of uh, audits. Um, and then also then penetration testing might be a good one. Fascinating. I mean, you've given me lots of uh, things to think about and, and, and anybody that's watching this, uh, really highlighting those critical things that, you know, organizations should be looking at because the reality is it's not going to get easier. Hackers are going to get a lot more sophisticated. They're after our data. And, you know, we've got the Popea Act uh, coming very soon. So we, we have to get our houses in order and businesses, whatever size they are, 
need to understand the severity of these kind of threats. Lucas Ledwaba, the CEO of uh, Pacamo Holdings, and uh, thank you for joining me, and thank you to Cabello Sekele, who's the Director for Strategic New Business Development and Partnerships at uh, Pacamo Holdings. Gentlemen, thank you for your time, and uh, wish you lots of strength in the future, and uh, yeah, you certainly have uh, lots of things on your hands, and uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, these uh, cyber threats are going to keep us all busy uh, over the next few years, because that's the reality and the vulnerability in most businesses. Thank you for joining me on What's Next. Thank you, Aki.